I'm going to yield the floor to Jacob, although I will be close by with a microphone in case I need to jump in. And I will let Jacob handle any and all questions you guys have. Thank you. Um, I thought maybe how we could spend the time, if you have some questions, go ahead and ask. But how I thought we could spend it is I'd ask you some questions. And uh, we could discuss, think about things. Um, so the first bit is on the back of the insert. Um, I put some questions there. If you're like me, um, you well, I find that I get partway through the week and I want to look back at, at the sermon and I have some notes about it. Um, so... What happens to me is if I don't write the thing down, then later in the week I have trouble remembering what the message was even about, much less maybe what I thought I was going to work on or change. Um, so the idea is <clears throat> here are some questions you can ask yourself. That's not for now. That's just for later. As you're doing your devotion, you can go through and write things down, what you intend to change, and then you'll have a record for yourself between you and the Lord of, of what you're going to do and what you intend to grow in. <clears throat> okay, so that's for you. Um, the first question I had is, what are some uh, other ways that we might boast in ourselves? I figure if people just talk up and it's more of a discussion than a lecture, it might be helpful. Any ideas? What are some other ways we can boast in ourselves or the talk about the what that might look like or be in our lives. Jacob, while everyone else is thinking, I had one. I'll just throw it out. Um, I think it could deal with fellowship. Is it more desirable for me to spend time with people that I think of as influential, intelligent, um, successful, or should I prefer the company of the godly? And I think even when you're a Christian, a professing Christian, sometimes it can be tempting to at times think, oh, I want to spend time with this person, they're really successful, or I want to learn this person knows so much. But I think in a way that sort of, as you spoke, is sort of stroking our own, our own ego, because I should be around these people, right? Because, you know, these are good things, right? But um, for me, or, or I think that it can be a, a moment you need to humble yourself and be like, nope, that's not me. I need to seek the company of the godly. Yeah. Or just be around people you like as opposed to people that you find irritating because you're thinking about yourself, right? What am I going to get out of this interchange? Yeah. I think social media works well, like selfies. Okay, any other comments? <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's true. I mean, look at what I caught. Look at, I don't know why I said caught, because you fish, but yeah. <laughs> look at what I did, look at where I am, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. But I like your idea, Jake, of just when you're um, 
you have yourself at the center. Yeah. Any other ideas of Mason? What do you think? How could we boast in ourselves? Some other example of that. I think the only thing I was thinking about is like uh, spending more and more time with family versus kind of branching out and connecting more believers in the body. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. So make your priorities God-centered. Mm-hmm. Hello. I'll sh- I'll share one that I'll share one that I shared with you earlier. But one one of the ways that convicts me with this is my unwillingness to have people think I'm stupid. And so I'll find when I'm witnessing, when I'm sharing my faith, um, I really, even if they don't believe, want them to get that I've thought this through. That I, I mean, and there can be something decent to that that we're not just saying ridiculous things. But I, I find dying hard in me is the willingness for other people to think I'm stupid. I, I don't like that. And if I really accepted that God's battle plan was he's going to destroy, you know, we, you, we use this example. Samson's going to kill the Philistines with a jawbone, not with a sword. Am I willing to be a jawbone as opposed to a glittering scimitar? And I keep finding myself, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't, I'm not happy about it. And so that's a way, at least I... I don't know if I am boasting, but I want to boast. I desire to be able to boast. You may not be, you may not have believed the gospel, but at least you don't think I'm dumb. And I, I want that. Um, someone has a mic back there. Yeah, Al. Just a uh, maybe a, a different side of this, but you know, a lot of times when I'm around people that are, you know, highly successful, intelligent, like like maybe Jeremy, you know. Um, <clears throat> well, other than his spelling, but I think um, he meant Jeremy Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I think it's easy f- for at least me, and I think probably a lot of us to start envying some of those qualities in other people, and say, well, you know, they're they can do this, they can do that, they're smarter than me, they're, you know, and and really, the other side of that coin is, well, yes, God has blessed them and gave them those gifts. I should rejoice in that. I shouldn't be envying that. And um, so you can, it's just interesting where your mind can go on some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Craig? Well, I was, excuse me. I was just going to say that I think there is some wisdom to um, utilizing intellectual answers in order to talk to people about your faith you know that oftentimes you hear the mantra you know that that people of faith have to set their wisdom aside and then embrace something that's uh that's otherwise unbelievable and i reject that completely and and so i i think there is some times when if you're doing it if you're doing it to bring um attention to your own wisdom, that's probably never going to be good. But if you are telling people or trying to tell unbelievers, hey, this, this, you don't have to stop thinking in order to embrace Christianity. It is fully justifiable. It is fully intellectually acceptable. Um, now, we know that 
without the without the Lord's work in your life, you, you're not going to get it, no, no matter what I tell you. But still, I, I think it's it just seems to me that there's there are times when it's okay to try to do this in a way that that utilizes facts and wisdom in order to try to convince somebody of of, of the truth of the gospel. Yeah, of course. I mean, Paul reasons with people in scripture it's not like he's abandoned all rational thought um, and in fact the Christian faith is the only logic internally consistent framework I mean all other frameworks of thought end up breaking down they're inconsistent so that's absolutely true and um, I, th- I think the idea though is more <clears throat> that kind of what you alluded to that we don't we know that that argument, that idea, is not what saves anyone. It's the Spirit of God working in them. And if they were to rationally think about God, it doesn't make sense. This is his plan of salvation, that the God of the universe, who's created all things, sends his son to die for our sins when he didn't have to, and he gets nothing from it, just because he's that kind of a God. I mean, it sounds crazy. It's like, what movie is the hero the guy who gets beaten up and killed at the end. That's not, you know, there's, now granted it's not the end of the movie yet, right? But, but this is what it sounds like right now. We're drifting off the questions though. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I don't know your name, could you? Don. Don? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a, Hopefully I'm not drifting too far off. Uh, <laughs> but kind of what, uh, what Greg was saying, uh, the book of Proverbs, uh, uh, even James talks about uh, wisdom uh, as being a good thing. Uh, there's talks about different types of wisdom. but how, So how, uh, um, how do we, I don't like the word reconcile, but... Uh, Again, Proverbs tells us, you know, to, to get wisdom, to, to do everything you can to get wisdom. Um, but how do we, how do we uh, reconcile that with, with the, uh, God? Or here in, in Corinthians, Paul talks about the foolishness or the, the lack of wisdom, um, seeming lack of wisdom in, in God's message. Spend a little more time clarifying what your question is. Um, how do we, uh, uh, again, I don't like the word reconcile, the, the other passages of Scripture that, that talk about wisdom as a, as a good thing, as a gift of God, but here wisdom is talked about in a negative light. I see. So what, what Paul's really dealing with is how does the world see the Christian message? How does the world see it? It's not a question of true wisdom. Um, how does wisdom look? Uh, James three thirteen. Who is wise and understanding among you? How does he show himself to be wise? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that was the Corinthians, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, 
demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So that's what wisdom from above looks like. It's peaceful, it's gentle, it's reasonable, it listens. Right? That's the idea of wisdom. Wisdom from the world doesn't look like that. Right? It's, Jeremy said this a few m- months ago, weeks ago, whatever. He has a hard time, and I'm sure we all have a hard time, valuing meekness because it looks weak. It looks silly. It's a different way of thinking about the world. It's a different way of thinking about how things fit together. So that's how I would answer that idea of wisdom. There is true wisdom from above, right? It just looks totally different, and it's contrary to our sinful natures. It looks like Christ. This is not straying at all. As recently as this morning, my wife and I were having a discussion about politics and the divisiveness and some of the stuff that's going on in our country right now and I, I, I find myself so often saying you know the hypocrisy of certain sides and if they would disagree with me because I'm right aren't I you know and that's that's boasting in myself and I have a tendency to forget that we're all God's children and that rather than focusing on my rightness that I should be praying for all of us. Um, I just, that's boasting in myself. Yeah. Well, and that's, I'll just read the first bit of uh, Proverbs, the first six verses here. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddle. So the wise is the one who listens and learns, the fool is the one who rejects. So you get over time, you're just rejecting wisdom, you remain stupid and foolish. The wise person isn't the one who knows everything or has an answer for everything or can figure everything out. The wise person is the one who's humble and listens. So over time, if you have that attitude and that behavior, you learn and you grow and you, have, you know more and more. So that's how I would contrast the two. In the world, how does wisdom look? You're the arrogant guy who knows everything and you never admit that you're wrong. It happens all the time at work. Not, not that I do it, but... That's, those are the people who advance, right? Are the ones who act like they know it all and they're just aggressive and pursue, pursue and they don't ever go, sorry, I really messed up. They've always got an excuse. And Anyway, it looks totally different. That, so that's a part of how the wisdom of God differs is um, there's a humility and a recognition, like you're saying, that um, you don't have the answers and you have to acknowledge there might be some answers that the other side has instead of being arrogant and refusing to listen and hear. So the next question I had here was, how do you think it brings glory to God when we turn from sin? Why does God care about this? Like, what difference does it make? We turn from sin, why does God care? 
Jake's scratching his head. Yeah. Well, it would be because we're being sanctified and becoming more like Christ. And I assume that's why he left us on the earth, is to become more like his son, to be more useful to him. And that's all. Other ideas why God might actually care about that? Uh, two lovely gentlemen here. Well, we're foolish in our natural way. <clears throat> if we, as we change or turn away from the sins that we commit, then it shows that God is having an impact on us. Uh, it, it is, and it, and the glory goes to Him if we we are changing. Uh, so He receives praise as people see that a foolish man changes into a more wise person or a more enjoyable person to be around, a less boastful person in the case of what we're talking about today, and especially when they know that it's only because of that foolish person's, um, the impact of the Lord in his life. Yeah. And so God gets the glory. Yeah. Other ideas, I think, right behind you. I think God cares about it because he cares about us. He knows that uh, when, we, when we are sinning, it's harming us. It, it, it doesn't harm God, but it harms us. And because he loves us, he, he, he rejoices in, in us. He, he, he rejoices in being able to bless us. Yeah. So when we, when we turn from sin and we obey him, it's actually good for us. When we stay in our sin, it hurts us. Yeah. I think it helps delineate, as you were talking about, the difference between the earthly wisdom, the mighty, the wise, that sort of thing, and the wisdom that is given to us by God as we submit to him. Because there's not a lot of submission in earthly wisdom. There's not a lot of putting yourself aside and your own desires aside. A lot throughout history, a lot of the great minds, quote unquote, that we know are beset by the most gross personal sin you can imagine. And there's no... You know, the earthly wisdom is not to put that off and put yourself off. The earthly wisdom to, is to exalt yourself and to be right. Um, and I think that that shows God and shows the you know shows His wisdom and and to to put off yourself in that way to put off your sin is a is a humbling thing. Yeah. Any other thoughts, ideas, Christina? Just Leslie, going in the same direction as um, when God um, saves us, um, I'm reminded of the time of my sister who used to be an alcoholic and I guess what they would call the life of the party. And when God saved her and took the taste of alcohol from her mouth, um, how people maligned her. And I just wanted to say that when it's truly the, you know, the work of God working in your life, um, you will persevere. So she persevered over the years even though people were maligning her and saying, you don't drink anymore, da, 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 da. but God got the glory and is still getting the glory out of her life. Yeah.
Yep. Mark, you want to say something? Just looking thoughtful back there. Now that I'm put on the spot. Hey, you, you showed up. I did show up. That's, that is true. Yeah, you know, uh, I think one of the things for um, the message of, uh, you know, humbling ourselves before the Lord is something we have to do continually. And uh, like it says in Hebrews 2, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That's the cares of the world can drag you away if you allow it. But this says if we, if we pay much closer attention, so the, there's a calling for us to be actively fighting against uh, the world pulling us away from, um, you know, boasting in anything other than the Lord. And uh, if we're not actively fighting at that, we're, we're, where do we think logically that's going to end up? It's not going to end up anywhere good. Yeah. Yeah, the more we hold on to what we want or our desires, what we think is right, the more foolish we remain. But the more we put that off and do what God calls us to do, the wiser we become, the more we grow. Yeah. One, one other way we can boast, um, and it seems to be to some degree what the Corinthians were doing with their factions, which may seem less like boasting, because it's not boasting in me, but it's boasting in my guy. Paul's eventually going to narrow it down by chapter 3 to the Apollos faction and the Paul faction. And the Apollos faction really love his wise words. As best as we can piece it together, he was a really good speaker, rhetorician. And as a natural ability, that's fine for him to use. Paul has no complaint with Apollos being, being um, uh, using wives' words. His rebuke is trusting in them as the power of God to salvation. So, so trying to get back to your question about wisdom, what we believe is wisdom. God's wisdom is wise. I just need to be fully prepared and not resist or not or dislike the fact that the world's going to think it's stupid. So it's not I'm trying to be stupid. Am I willing to be thought stupid? That's the strategy, that those who perish think what I think is ridiculous. Not that I have nothing to say, not that I have no answers to give, but unless the Spirit of God's moving in them, they're going to think I'm an idiot. And the, the danger for us can be to think, if we just get the right Christian speaker and man, nobody presents the gospel like whoever, and mistaking that the power of God for salvation is that person, that clever speaker, that gifted orator, the powers in the message. It, it all basically goes back to 118, where Paul says, I, I preach the gospel not with wise words, lest the cross be empty of his power. When we witness, we have to trust in God's word applied by his spirit, and anything else than that is a false hope. So if, so if I think, trusting in my PowerPoint, when you see my PowerPoint, you'll get it or my 15 answers to your questions, when, when you hear those, you'll believe. That's the lie i got to resist. I need to have as good answers as I can, but unless God turns the lights on for them, unless the Spirit of God gives them understanding, this will look foolish to them. Full stop, nothing else I can do about it. That, that's what I need to come to terms with and accept and not resist.
So Jacob, going the question right here uh, about what does God get from the sin and then our conversation on boasting. Um, this passage from Ephesians 2 is kind of what stood out in my mind as an answer to that. Um, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yeah, no, that's, thank you. That's true. At the end of the day, no one can go forward and say, I earned this or I deserve it or God chose me because I had this. He does it in that way so that no one can boast and he <clears throat> he gets the glory. Yeah, thank you, Jamie. Um, okay, so there was one other passage I wanted to read real quick, just another way that we might boast. Uh, James 4. 13, uh, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So the idea is... Um, Another way that we might boast is that we uh, just presume that we'll continue on indefinitely and we're not relying on the Lord um, and recognizing that things happen in our life if he wills. And if he doesn't will, we won't be alive tomorrow. So our very life and every little thing that we do, we're totally dependent on the Lord. That's part of the boasting sometimes is we just presume we'll make it. But no, we're a mist that vanishes. And we often think of ourselves as eternal or like more like God than like people. Let me put it that way. Okay. What, yeah, question? Uh, yeah, regarding uh, boasting in the are Lord. Are you translating from another language or what are the? Oh, it's just, uh, it's not volume, it's clarity. Oh, okay, got it. It sounds so much clearer to me with this. So sorry, talk like this is clear or not? Okay, now that you've disrupted my train of Did thought. Did it clear it up? And, uh, uh, okay. Regarding boasting in the Lord, that I had to stop and think about that for a while. But the, the routine, wonderful things like his grace, his teaching, and his consistency uh, are wonderful. But there's one I thought about that I hadn't thought about before regarding Gethsemane, the courage of Jesus Christ is, is something that I can boast about so strongly. I mean, that's compared to our courage, what he went through and his courage that he demonstrated is just something to really boast about. Yeah. Yeah. I, it just, it reminds me, you know, of Joshua where he's, he's saying, be strong and courageous. He knows what he has to do. It's just, it's still difficult to do it. And ultimately, yeah, you have to rely on the Lord for that strength. Okay, so um, 
What do you, okay, we'll skip that one. If, if you are convicted of something in a sermon, not necessarily this morning, but at some point in your life, um, how would you go about determining what to do? So you're sitting there, you're reading scripture, and you're convicted of something. What are some ideas of how you might go about actually um, figuring out what you should change or what you should do? <clears throat> yes. Well, I think first you pray about it, and then you find um, what Scripture says about that particular issue that you're dealing with, um, and write those things down and kind of meditate on those things and really um, ask to have them move to your heart. And then, I don't know, just kind of journal about, like, interactions that are testing whatever's being tested and just see um, and and uh, just see how you're you're doing. It's like a test of of what scripture says versus my actions. Cause it's it's not always easy to see, but if you write it down, it's a lot easier to understand what yeah. is going on. Yeah, that's great. So you pray about it, you look at God's word, which is ultimately the thing that convicted you. Um, and then you figure out what you need to actually do. Yeah. I have a microphone. Should I talk? Oh. I see, I see Lois's hand. <laughs> and then Mrs. Sweet over here. Uh, no, who said no? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, what what Lindsay said is very true. To keep, you know, do some deep thinking. And, and if it's a, a besetting sin, you're probably going to need some accountability somewhere along the line. That's the only thing that ever helped me get over alcohol of the years of Lord, help me make my husband make me stop drinking. And that's like, why would he be able to do that? Because he struggles too. So, but having someone outside of the situation to that we had to be, uh, you know, confessing to and uh, be aware of what was going on in our lives and finally being transparent where you're admitting it to someone else. And that's, that's really hard. So for some people, ah, for me, it's like, eh. I know I'm a screwed up person, so it wasn't any big trouble for me. But uh, nevertheless, though, it took you a long time before you. Did it took it. me a while to do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and that's part of the thing is it's humbling, right? No, none of us want to admit, even though we know we have issues. None of us really want to admit them, and I, that's clearly the first step is we're admitting it to the Lord, and then maybe to other people and invite some scrutiny because then we're we feel ashamed if we don't do it. And we know we just told that person, hey, could you help me work on this? And now I'm still doing it. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Um, depending on what translation, uh, talking about boasting, um, uh, other translations talk about uh, glory, those that glory in, in this. Uh, the, the idea uh, of glory in, in uh, scripture often uh, comes from the idea of giving weight to, um, in in the especially in the ancient world, uh, they didn't have currency. It, it, it was uh, as such, it would be barter or like gold. It would, you know, how, a talent was a, a unit of weight. Uh, so what what in my life do I give weight to? What 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 uh, is uh, weighty in, in my life so is it god's word is it god's ways is it god himself or is it 
my wisdom or what I think is wise or uh, what 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 is heavy in 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 my thinking in my mind. Yeah. So how would you translate that into you're convicted of something in a sermon, right? And what I understand you to be saying is you <clears throat> you want to train yourself to view weightily the things that the Lord views weightily, something mightily. How, okay, what, how are you meaning it then? I mean, I get your point, but I'm trying to put it in the context of if... Make it practical. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, as we look into God's word, see what, what God counts as, as weighty. What, what, uh, what does God value? What, what, uh, and, or what does God not value? Uh, what what does he say is is vain is is empty is, is light, um, and then as as you mentioned uh, in your uh, take specific steps to train myself to godliness as as Paul tells Timothy uh, to exercise myself to go to the gym literally to. To, uh, cause, because grace is not a, opposed to effort, grace is opposed to earning. Right, well, and that's, that was the idea in what Paul had said in that, I think it was 1 Corinthians 15, right? He'd received these gifts, and yet he um, didn't want to receive them in vain, and so he worked harder than anyone else. Um, actually, that's somewhere in this message thing here. Do you remember where that is? Fifteen, something or other. Fifteen ten. You want to read that if you have a mic. Oh, okay. <clears throat> but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Yeah, so I think that's the idea is, go ahead. Well, I think we often, we as Christians, mix up grace and mercy. Um, grace is uh, the power that God gives us to do what he, uh, is, is, if you will, the fuel that he gives us to, to live the Christian life. We can't... Um, <laughs> Although I've heard it said that uh, grace not only, uh, we, we often think that grace not only saves us, but it, it also paralyzes us because we think, uh, again, we, we mix up mercy and grace. Um, but a, 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 a godly Christian burns grace like a 747 at takeoff. Uh, uh, what, basically what Paul is saying, this Grace was what what fueled his his uh, his desire. What fueled his, his you know, it wasn't he wasn't running on on his own strength. He was running on grace. Right. Yeah. And I mean that's right. What you don't you don't receive the glory. You don't receive the praise. But you do receive all the strength you need to do the work God has for you. And often we think God will just do all the work, but that's not the case. One, one passage that I found helpful in making application 
is, and it's basically the principle that when, if you're like me, you feel God's searchlight exposing you. And like kids often do, okay, okay, I'll whatever, whatever, whatever. God directly addresses that and he expects us to keep those promises. And so um, Ecclesiastes 5, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? So I, I made a, after reading that, if I'm going to, in that moment of conviction, promise to do something, I need to do it. And, and knowing that whatever I vow, whatever I commit to, and I feel God's conviction, I, I need to do. Um, there's no way, like, ooh, that was a mistake. I mean, he directly addresses that. And so then making a note of whatever it is I've committed to do and making sure I try to do it. Um, it yeah, that, that really stopped any sort of, well, I know I said that I wasn't going to, but. Right. No, that's great. So we got going to scripture, right? Actually th- being convicted of um, what we need to change, involving other people so that we're actually, you know, being exposed to their input into our lives. And then same thing, reminding ourselves of the fact that we do need to change when we vow something before the Lord. Uh, Greg Sweet and then Stacy's in front of him. I was just going to say, uh, I agree with everything that's been said, but the accountability partner uh, first and foremost, should be the person that knows us the best. Uh, we, we need to, and and the one that can most easily hold us accountable uh, in on earth is our spouse. Uh, because it's one thing for, for me to say to Mark Sullivan, hey, I'm Mark, try to help me do this. But Lois is the one that sees me act most of the time. So she's the one I really ought to be talking over any sort of failure I may have or uh, desire to to um, take scripture more seriously. Yeah, and I mean, that's a good idea. The, the reminder, though, uh, is that our accountability partner is, even if it's our husband, it maybe is, that's not the answer. That's a tool to help. But yes, you're right. Um, Mrs. Moore. Another thing that you have taught me in terms of how to respond or make a plan following conviction is to have measurable steps, something that I can tangibly look at and see where I'm going, uh, whether there's progress or not. Um, Thinking of something like me being convicted that I'm not um, a faithfully diligent worker and so resolving, for example, that when I see little things around the house that I make a point to finish the thing or whatever that ends up looking like, but just that I would be faithful to have a very measurable plan in place that I can look at and either have someone look at it with me or just know that I can faithfully examine whether I'm improving or not. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a really good reminder. That's what <clears throat> on here, how can I accomplish the change and you actually put some steps down. What's the first step toward bringing about this change? That's an actual thing you put down. If you don't have measurable goals, it's just too easy to vow something, and then you think you're doing okay on it, but you really aren't. I'll try harder. Yeah. So, so far, 
Yes, and then we'll go over there. Is it Mitch? You have a okay. Um, so we've got we want to go to God's word to to see what area we're convicted in, um, not in our own wisdom, but see what God has to say about it. Bring some other people into it. Also, make a commitment, right? Vow something and stick to it. Um, and then how are you going to know if you do that? You write some measurable actual steps down that you could check it out on. So, uh, Mitch. Uh, this question comes from our Sunday school class. It's unrelated, but I know we're running out of time, and I wanted to get an answer. Um, Okay, go ahead. What does it look like to boast in the Lord in heaven? What does it look like to boast in the Lord in heaven? What does scripture say about that? That that's interesting. I have a question and then I'll have we'll have to look up a scripture, but my thought is that right now when we boast in the Lord, we're still limited by our fleshly body. We're still inhibited from, in some way, fully and completely boasting in the Lord and giving glory to God. Because as soon as we, you know, do something well and we think, oh, praise be to God, and someone congratulates us or whatever, our temptation is to think about ourselves, right? We did a good job. So there's always that pressure. I think the, the great thing in heaven is <clears throat> you won't have that sinful uh, thought. Right? You'll be able to give full and unadulterated glory to God, and consequently, you'll be fully satisfied in that. Right now, our satisfaction is limited because even as we try and give glory to God, we want to take some for ourselves, and that keeps us from being really fully joyful and satisfied in God. So, do you have a passage? or? We don't need to turn there, but... In Revelation 4 and 5, we get praise songs um, of redeemed, sinless saints in heaven. I mean, that's an idea of boasting in God. It's just declaring to him with joy and satisfaction who he is and what he's done. You are worthy, for you were slain. You are worthy, for you made all things. And by your word, they came into being. I'm sort of summarizing the the, the praise songs in, in Revelation 5, but it's being satisfied and delighted in declaring his worth. Um, that's, that's what the pictures we see of people in heaven glorifying and boasting in God. My God's great. My God's awesome. My God does wondrous things. You have, you know, explaining what those things are and extolling them. Yeah, so you've got that in Revelations 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So you just get this calling out to God for his worthiness, and as you do that, you're reminded and recognize of the work that he's done to give you that ability to glorify him and praise him. <clears throat> okay. Um, so we've got measurable changes, measurable steps, right? So we write it down. We think about what we can change. It's easy to remain abstract, um, and but it just doesn't lead to any change. It's convicting, and so we feel good about it, but it doesn't actually help us at all. 
Okay. Um, what could you do to make sure you actually made the change? That's the next question. So you, you're convicted of something, you write it down, hopefully, right? You find some verses that relate to it. Um, so what do you do to actually figure out if you've made it? Any ideas? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Mrs. Moore, the senior. In using your example of, say, the husband who sat at the... Let's go with the wife. How about the wife? Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. In, I know. In either case, um, it, so he could go to her or she could go to him and say, I've been convicted about how I've been treating you or the things I've said to you or I've been disrespectful or whatever the issue is. And then they would, she could then say or he could then say, um, what can I do, um, like in the case of helping your wife, what can I do that would ease your burden or would be a blessing to you? So you would go to the person and actually say, I recognize that this is a weakness in me. I want to work on it. Um, how can I make this better? And would you hold me accountable? Again, going back to an accountability, but asking someone uh, and confessing it to them. Yep. No, that's great. So you confess your sin, obviously. You've got to acknowledge it as sinful and wrong. Um, Jeremy's quoted this a bunch, but it's a great passage. Joshua 7, um, with Achan after he's stolen some of the spoils of war and he's hidden them and they're trying to figure out who stole it and they finally narrow it down to him. And Joshua says, um, <clears throat> My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And when he answers... Listen to the specificity of what he says, not only in what he did, but in what he was thinking. It says, And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing five, 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So he's committed this sin, he confesses it, and he's very clear about what he did. And, you know, in his case, he ends up getting stoned and big pile of stones over him. But in our case, hopefully that doesn't happen. But we could confess our sin, at least. That's a picture of what it looks like to, to acknowledge our sin, is to be specific and clear on what it is. Then the more specific and clear you are, the easier it is to come up with some practical steps to then change. Okay, there and then here. This isn't going to be theological, is it? I think one way we can uh, uh, tell if we've changed is, is uh, our behavior, but, but more importantly, our heart. Do I have the desire to do what I shouldn't do, or do I have the desire to not do what I... Uh, do I have the desire to do what I should do, or do I not have the desire to, to do what I shouldn't do? Um, uh, we can change our behavior, but we can't change our heart. Only God can change my heart. But there are things I can do to open my heart to God so that he can change it. And I think that's what we're talking about with these, these disciplines, these uh, measurable steps and that kind of thing. Those, those in, and of the, in and of themselves will not change my heart. Yeah, that's absolutely But they are, 
means in which God, we can open our heart to God to change our heart. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. It, again, I mean, it's all, all of grace. Yeah, it, right. Uh, that's absolutely true. The um, Often, though, we wait for that changed heart before we do stuff, and that's not right either. So the idea is, you're absolutely right, only God changes our heart. We can change our behavior, but we can't change the way we feel about it, whatever. That's true. Um, and as we, it's be, so the question is, you're in a situation, you need to change what you're doing and how you think, right? You don't feel like doing the right thing, but you know what the right thing to do is. The question is, what do you do? Do you take those steps that you know to be right before your heart's changed, or do you wait around for your heart to change? So clearly the answer is you take the steps, you do the things, and you pray that God changes your heart. So yeah, it shouldn't be used as an excuse to not work until we have a changed heart. But you're right, if we're looking to those things we write down to somehow change us, that's not necessarily the case. But God does bless obedient children. So part of it is you be obedient and your heart, you trust that your heart will follow. That, that God would change your heart is what I mean, not that some pop song, yeah. I just wanted to add to my previous point that um, in the end, um, it says, give glory to God and ag agree with him. Give glory to God that you have done this thing. And when we are honest before the Lord and our partner or whoever it is, um, then we give glory to God in that situation by admitting it and um, doing something about it. Yeah. No, that's right. And that's what we were talking about earlier, that when we do confess our sins and we turn from our sin, we are glorifying God. Well, I'm hopeful that Jake will stick around for a few more minutes, take any more questions you all have. Um, again, I'm incredibly thankful for how God gifts our body with many different gifted people. Clearly, we are well furnished here. Um, and uh, thank you, Jacob, for the work you put into that. And um, let's, uh, let's be doers, not hearers only. I'm going to close the word of prayer, and then we'll break. Lord God, thank you for Jake's work and labor. Uh, Thank you for his faithful labor. And Lord, we trust that you make things grow. You give the increase. So pray that you would apply your word to our hearts, that we would not um, try to boast in the very world system that you have defeated, but that we would be content to um, be your chosen vessels, weak, foolish, um, ignoble, that you might glorify yourself as you overturn the world through the things that are not. In Jesus' name, amen.